welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Whether it's devotional times, family issues, or marriage problems, we want to help you understand and apply what the Bible says in practical ways that produce real results. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Let's Follow Jesus on some of the essentials of walking with Christ on a personal level. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we greet you today. Loving you, loved by you. Without you, Lord, who knows where we'd be? In a gutter somewhere, buried in a cemetery somewhere, or just living an empty life and trying to pretend like it's going great. But we get to be in the Lord's house today on a communion Sunday and open the Bible and talk about Jesus. We want to follow him. And we ask you to bless our time this morning as we talk about being a witness to being obedient to your command to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The title for today's Reflections is, Let Your Light So Shine. Let Your Light So Shine. We're going to talk about the aspect of witness for a Christian. As we follow Jesus Christ, this is something that uh, one of the aspects, one of the privileges that God has given us to participate in getting this message out to everyone on the face of the earth. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He doesn't say, Let God's light shine. Why? Because He wants to incarnate His truth in you so that your light is His light. So that's His light shining through your light, the influence, the impact that you have on the world. And He says, let your light shine before men in such a way. I probably should have underlined that part because that's one of the keys to this whole passage. In such a way that they may see your good works, but they don't reach the conclusion, oh, that is such an outstanding young man. What a delightful young woman. It says, in such a way that they see your good works but they turn and look away from you up to the Father in heaven and say, if that person lives like that, talks like that, does those kind of things, what kind of a God must that be that they serve and love? And maybe I could know him as well. In such a way. Well, you and I have been commissioned. Mark sixteen fifteen, and Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It's a big world. How many billion we got now? Six? It's changing as we speak. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So we want to look at what that entails. What have we been called to? What does that commissioning include? The first thing I have here is to be salt and light. 
I thought about bringing a salt shaker and a candle or something. And just supposing I had, and we set them there, and then I put the microphone there by the salt shaker and the candle. We'll let them both speak at the same time. Wouldn't hear a thing. They're silent. And yet both of them have an influence in their own way. The salt has an influence chemically and as far as taste, and it makes a huge difference if it's there or not. All grits lovers know that. And steak does not taste near as good if it has no salt. Some people are not supposed to eat salt, and you, you miss it. And then light. Have you ever been in a really, really, really dark place? And then just light the tiniest little match. And what a difference that makes. So these things that Jesus has told us, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, is simply the passage in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, we're much more comfortable with it being Jesus. Jesus is the salt of the earth. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And we said, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. It's not about me, and it's not about you. That's okay. It's just him. But what we use that for is we use it as, as an excuse to kind of sneak out the side door and not do anything. So it's just Jesus. Well, wish you well, Lord. Uh, you're doing such a great job. And he says, no, no. He says, I'm leaving, and now I'm living in you. And from now on, you're the salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world. And that speaks about the influence that we're to have and that we do have everywhere we are. But then he also says, now, you are the salt. You're the seasoning. And if the seasoning in you has gone flat, has gone stale, you think, well, salt is just, what is it, NaCl, sodium chloride? Well, that's been a long time. I didn't do too well in chemistry at Georgia Tech. But if salt is just a chemical like that, I mean, how does it lose itself? I mean, how can you have salt and it not be salt? Well, they, the best explanation I've heard is that they uh, would get their salt from the Dead Sea. And so it was, a, 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 it was a lot of stuff. I mean, but it had salt in it. But they just called it salt because they couldn't, you know, necessarily separate it all out. But if you uh, had it where it, it got wet or stuff, the, the actual salt could leach out and all you really had was dust. So that's what he's saying with the salt loses its saltiness. It's, uh, it's that kind of salt they had that somehow, we don't know how, but there's no more salty taste in this. It's just dust. And he says, what a shame if you lose your saltiness. And if the light that's in you goes dark because of unconfessed sin, because of a hard heart, because of inconsistent living, of being a hypocrite. So we're called to be salt and light. We're called to also, secondly, be witnesses. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. He doesn't say, well, when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm going to pick out a couple of really great chatty people, and they're going to be my witnesses, and the rest of you are the cheering team. As you see them go by chatting with people, you say, oh, there goes another one. Let's give them a hand. He says, no, all of you are going to be my witnesses, and that really speaks to content what it is we're supposed to talk about. We're supposed to bear witness to what Jesus Christ has said and done in our lives. We bear witness, we give testimony to what He has done for us. Third, we're called to be ambassadors. 
2 Corinthians 5:20 says, "Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, we're, as though God through us was begging and pleading. An ambassador is one who goes to another country, and he represents his, his whole country in that foreign land. And you have been commissioned as an ambassador. You can just imagine a sash right across there. So we say, Todd Henning, ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, wouldn't that make you stand up a little taller? I mean, I can't imagine a an ambassador with his sash kind of slouched over, you know, slinking around. You know, that's just, that's just not ambassador sort of style. You know, ambassador, you'd at least sort of stand up straight. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't even have that much to say. Maybe your country has done something that you really can't explain, but you could at least stand up straight. You know, uh, whether you open your mouth or not, you are representing that country. And whether, you not, whether or not you open your mouth as an ambassador for Christ, if they know you're the Lord's, they look at you that way. They interpret even your silences according to you're representing the kingdom of heaven, for better or worse. I mean, an ambassador, just because somebody's an ambassador doesn't mean they're a good one. It may be horrible. You know, maybe they're into the nightlife and doing all of these things. Maybe, they, maybe they're using the diplomatic pouch to smuggle in drugs. Who knows? I mean, it may be a horrible ambassador. But nevertheless, whatever he does reflects on his home country. And whatever you do reflects on Jesus Christ. And fourth, be fishers of men, Matthew 4.19. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't say follow me and it could be that we'll do a lottery, you know, and if you're especially gifted or just lucky, uh, you'll draw the fishers of men prize. And you go around and tell your friends, hey, you know, there were 100 people in the drawing, and only two of us got the Fishers of Men prize. He says, no, you all get the prize. He says, if you follow me, I will make you a Fisher of Men. Now the question comes up, well, what if you never become a Fisher of Men? What does that imply? Maybe you were never following Jesus. Now, either Jesus is a liar, and I think we have to discount that one, or if you truly follow him, you will make a difference in other people's lives for the kingdom of God. So the first one, salt and light, focuses on our influence. The idea of being witnesses focuses on content. What do we speak about? We speak about what Christ has done. The third, ambassador, speaks about style, the way you do it. Uh, we weren't called to be spiritual Christian terrorists, to go out and wrap bombs with tracks, you know, and throw them in places and be mean and nasty to people and grab people on the street and yell at them and stuff like that. He says, no, you're an ambassador. We need a little class here. We need a little style. We need you to be interact with people in such a way that they say, well, I don't agree with them, but that was a real gentleman. That was a real lady. And even though I don't, I don't really see it their way, I so respect them. That's what an ambassador is. And fourth, uh, the idea of being a fisher of men focuses somewhat on the result. I mean, can you imagine somebody that's dedicated their whole life to fishing, never caught a fish? We'd have to call him something else, a persistent guy or something, but we wouldn't call him a fisherman. He never got a single fish. You know, maybe he never even put a hook on the string. Maybe he never even went. He just bought all the rods and reels and stayed in his house. We don't know why he never got a fish, 
But frankly, if you know anybody that loves to fish, they've caught a fish. At least one. I mean, come on. Have you ever caught a fish? Have you ever led somebody to Jesus Christ? Now, don't, don't misinterpret what humility is. No, no, I would never do that. That's not really for me. That's for other people, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm nothing, and the Lord is everything. I just, I just pray that the Lord would do it. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Now, you may, some of you would have to believe in miracles to believe that that's really going to happen. But he is a God of miracles. But let's talk about if you've come to the place where you surrender and say, Lord, it seems impossible. I'm a nervous person. I'm a scared person. I'm a tongue-tied person. I'm not a communicative person. I'm delighted to be a Christian, but I can't imagine being helpful to anybody else and then becoming a Christian. Let's talk about different things that can be done as you, by faith, draw that command into your heart and say, this is for me. God has called me to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To not just think from my littleness out, well, maybe I could talk to just one person. He says, no, that's not the commission. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Don't, don't shrink it down just because of your littleness. Let's talk about what, what can be done. First of all, you can at least pray. Do you have a, an evangelistic prayer list where you've written down ten names of people that you know in your family, friends, business acquaintances, that at least you could pray for them that they would come to know Christ. That's a great place to start. Every quiet person can do that. Just yeah, If it's on an index card, just have it in your Bible. You don't even have to necessarily name them all every day if you don't want. Just get your card out and say, Lord, I'm remembering these friends before you, and I long for you to touch their lives and use me any way you want. You could do that. Five seconds a day. You could do that. Well, I like starting with something easy. Set the bar low. You know, we can get over that bar just tripping. We'll fall over it. Second, in your relationships, identify with Christ. Identify with Christ. That's talking about in some way raising the flag. In some way letting them know that Jesus Christ is important to you. You don't have to say much to do that, frankly. Uh, people are hypersensitive to this. Good grief. They've just found out, oh, my goodness, this guy's religious. You know, you don't have to say tons. I remember one time thinking I uh, met all these students and, and had befriended them in Argentina, and it had been about a month or two, and I got really convicted that I'd, I'd never really identified with Christ. And as far as they knew, my light shining to them was I was just a nice person. I thought somehow I'm, and by the way, in this whole area of, uh, of evangelism and witness, I feel like I'm horrible at it. So I'm not, I'm not speaking to you from my strength at this point. I, I, I struggle with fear. I struggle with being tongue-tied. I never feel like I'm very good at it. I sweat profusely on, in planes and hope nobody sits next to me. I mean, I'm terrible at this. 
But we're, we're working our way from the Bible out toward us. And I think a lot of times God would just, pref just prefer you to feel that weak and uh, unusable because the alternative of you feeling very, very confident and very, very useful, you'd be so, um, no one could stand you and God couldn't use you because of the pride. So allow your weaknesses to humble you, but don't allow them to stop you. Believe that God is great enough to use even you. So anyway, I was thinking, how can I identify with Christ with these students? And uh, that day we had to walk around to the different classrooms so I would, was able to get with different, walk beside different ones. And the Pope was coming to town. I says, well, what do you, you know, the Pope's coming to town, you know, news item. Did, yep, I know. You're going to go see him? Well, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Well, what do you think about the Pope? And they maybe said something. And then I said, well, what do you, let me ask you another question. What do you think about Jesus Christ? As though it was just a normal question in line with the other questions, which it wasn't, of course, but anyway. And then they said whatever they thought about Jesus Christ. And I said, you know, for me, he's the most important person in my whole life. And I didn't say anything else. I didn't need to. Doesn't take much to identify with Christ, to raise that flag. But that's part of the letting your light shine in such a way. How will they know to give God the glory if they have no idea that you love him? Identify with Christ. A third thing to do is to pray for people's needs. When people are deeply in need, many even that are atheists or agnostics, they appreciate the kind intention of a Christian who's willing to pray for them. And that's a way of touching their lives in a spiritual way at a point of need. It's a, it's a service to them. And that's also something very, very easy for you to do. When we were buying a house in Argentina, uh, we were shopping around for houses, and we were in this one house, and the lady said that she'd been very sick, and that's why they were moving, and she was maybe in her mid-70s. And I said, and they were very Catholic, and I said, well, would you like me to pray for you? And she said, yes, and I, I think she thought, you know, be praying for her. And I said, well, could I pray for you right now? We're standing there in the hallway, and her husband's there and everything, so I go over and put my hand on her and, and uh, have a nice prayer and but, but that started a, a, a bit of a dialogue over the next year or so because we did end up buying that house. And a year later, uh, the Lord worked it out for me to lead them to Christ. But it all started just with praying for a need. And you just have it in your mind. If someone says they have a need, offer to pray. You could do that. Fourth, personal testimony. That's where you tell your story about how you came to know Christ. And that would be a good workshop to do sometime. It's a wonderful thing to have a three- or four-minute version of that written out. Some of the officers and deacons have already done that, and some of the men. But to have your story in such a way that it gives glory to God and shows how before, how you were before, how you became a Christian, and then what's happened since. Fifth, it's nice to learn a, some presentation of the gospel, some way where if they ask you, well, what, what is the message of Christianity, that you would have something to say. I go in many churches, and I couldn't pick out one out of 50 that could explain the basic message of, Christ, of Christianity, the ABCs. Now, if I talked to a math major and he couldn't even add, I would be worried. If I went to a doctor and he was not sure what a heart was or where it was, I'd look for another doctor. But we have churches filled with Christians that can't answer the most important question about Christianity is, what is your message? 
But even if you don't feel like you could carry on, you could give a monologue, it's written in little books called tracts. Read the thing with them. You could do that. But where it's got the verses of Scripture that all have sinned, the wages of sin is death, salvation is not by works, Christ paid the penalty for our sins, we must receive Jesus Christ, we can have assurance of our salvation, a presentation of the gospel. Sixth, another thing that could be done is an evangelistic Bible study. And that just means you get together. Why don't we get together each week and, and read a little bit out of the Bible, just see what it says. Let's explore the original document of Christianity. You don't have to believe it. Let's just, let's just read it and talk about it. And that gives people over a period of time a chance to think about it rather than rushing them toward a decision on something they don't understand. And each of these, there's uh, we could have a, a nice class of talking about each one of these in different details, but I'm trying to give you an overview now of when I say witness and evangelism, uh, what comes to my mind. Now, maybe you've got some other things that help you or, or, or work uh, as well or better, but these are some of the things. A couple of other factors. When, when God want, talks about you being a witness, who, who, who has he primarily got in his mind? Do you realize God has planted you in a certain place? A lot of times people think uh, always in terms of travel. Because, well, it does say go into all the world. But you're, frankly, on the other side of the world from where he said that. So any place you go, you're getting back to where they started. And, frankly, who's, who's the best person to reach your spheres of influence? Maybe we should import one of those Chinese Christians, you know, and work with him for six years trying to get him to learn English. And then imagine him talking with those people that you know, that they won't even listen to you. You think they want that Chinese guy to come over and talk to them in a thick accent and try to explain the faith to them? No, they would much rather hear it from you. They might not agree with you. But God has planted you as a secret agent in your spheres of influence, in your extended family, in your place of work, in your community, in whatever places you naturally are coming in contact with people, you know their name, you greet them in a friendly way. It might be through contacts through your children, uh, etc. And that is the main area where you have been called to be a missionary, to be salt and light, to be a witness, to be an ambassador, to be a fisher of men. And you don't have to do it all today or even this week or even this year. Have a long view. I've been praying for one of my family members for 36 years. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had our first time to sit down and open the Bible together. Didn't go that well, but we at least opened the Bible together. I thought, well, no, you have to look at it the positive side, you know. Uh, that was progress. <laughs> so like I said, it's not as though I feel like it goes that well for me. It doesn't have to go well. I just need to do it because he told me to. It's obedience. God has planted you where you are. What do you do about fear? I don't know, but if you ever figure it out, let me know. Once I get talking with someone and I know they're interested, I'm not afraid at all. Where it gets me is I don't know where they are, and I hate making people feel uncomfortable. I hate offending people, and I don't want to make my, uh, the, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ look bad because I do such a crummy job of it. But part of it is just uh, letting God work through you, and as he opens up opportunities, if you're prepared, that's part of the thing you can do ahead of time is just be prepared. You can 
maybe have a presentation of the gospel that you just carry with you. You can learn one. If you're in the men's groups, we can teach you that. You can have your testimony. You can be praying for people. There are things that you can do so that when an opportunity comes up, you don't have to bolt for the door. You, you have something to say. What's our motive to be? Our primary motive is just to obey the Lord. It's our desire to see people come to Christ, and that's great. But you may not actually get to see that much. I think sometimes God veils the results of our life, the good fruit of our life, because he knows how easily we get conceited and self-satisfied. He says, I don't think I can tell them until they get to heaven. I don't think they can handle that much good news. They would start strutting around and doing all kind of crazy things. I says, I think I'd rather keep them humble and thinking I'm just not that good at this. And then, then in heaven, I'm going to surprise them. And in heaven, we're going to have this, this big crowd of a thousand people walking toward that Christian that thought they were so ineffective. And as he gets close, they're going to say, hey, hey, John. And he says, who are you? He says, we're the people that you in some way influence to come to Jesus Christ. And we're all on the welcoming committee to thank you and give you a hug. But our main motive should be, the Lord told me to do it. It's enough. Even if I do it poorly, it's better than not doing it. Something is more than nothing. And some people say, well, but Henry, it's not, it's not my gift. It doesn't need to be your gift. Some people have the gift of giving. Does that let the rest of us off the hook? Some people have the gift of Bible study. The rest of us don't need to study the Bible. Some people are very gifted in loving. The rest of us can go around and hate all day because it's not my gift. Some are gifted in serving. Would you all get to work, please, because there's a lot to be done. It's not only a gift. Some people do have that gift, and we love them and admire them, and there are tons of other things those people are horrible at, but we put up with them because they're so good in sharing their faith. And they put up with us because we have things that we particularly bring that are a blessing. But he has called every single true believer in Jesus Christ to be his witness to, witnesses, to be salt and light, to be his ambassador in your spheres of influence. Well, I want to add something that I've never included in a talk on witness before, but I have found it so interesting. This fourth point is the arc of the testimony. And in Exodus... 24, when they're getting the blueprint for the tabernacle, that portable worship tent that they had, in Exodus 24, 21, and 22, he says, and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. That's the, the uh, thing up there with the looks like the angels on it. It was a kind of a, a flat plate with these two cherubim. And in the ark, in that golden box, you shall put the testimony which I shall give to you. And there I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. So at the very center 
of all the tabernacle worship, you know, outside there was the altar, and then in the holy place they had the lights and the bread and the altar of incense. But then in that special, special place, which was the Holy of Holies, there was only one piece of furniture, and it was a golden box called an ark. And in the ark they had some things. And you think, well, what are they going to put in the box? Uh, Hebrews 9, 3 through 5 tells us what was in the box. He says, And behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of covenant, the Ten Commandments, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And I remember reading this one day and realizing that God was telling them, you can build the box, and you have to go get your own wood and your own gold. I'm not going to uh, just create out of nothing some the building materials for you, and you're going to have to put it together. This is a kit. You have to assemble it. Uh, but only God could fill it. They weren't to go out and make a replica of the Ten Commandments. They weren't to go get a, a stick and start gluing, you know, like uh, Japanese fake flowers, you know, uh, thing so it looks like it budded. And they weren't to go get faux manna and stick it in a jar, you know. He says, uh, he says, I want you to put in the ark the testimony that I will give to you. So what was that testimony? So what was it that was in the box? It was the supernatural activity, evidence of the supernatural activity of God that only God could do. It wasn't an idol. It wasn't anything made with human hands. And what that speaks to for us today is that witness isn't primarily me learning a couple of lines, as they say in, when you're training magicians, to learn the patter, what you say while you're doing the trick. In the box, in our lives, there are to be evidences that God is real. How do you know that God is real? Has God ever done anything for you that you would say, God did that? And that is one of the main things that you're to bear witness to. Not just a theological concept or an evangelistic little ditty that you run through. It says, is God real to you? Because that's really what the person cares about. I mean, they're not really interested in finding out about all world religions, etc., etc. But if they find somebody that God is more than a concept, and this is more than just yet, one, yet another world religion, but that there is a God, and this is how he has shown up in my life. Now, some people think, well, I really, gosh, that's, uh, I've been frustrated about that. I mean, I can't think of a blooming thing. Part of the problem with us is God has done so many things, and we forget them. Now, that happens to all of us in different areas. It happens to me. It, I'm, it's sort of embarrassing, but whenever I'm asked, well, what was the most special birthday party you ever had or best present you ever got? I'm a blank. So many people have gener generously given me so many things. Can't remember a single one. Well, maybe one or two, but, I mean, you think of all the years and all the presents and I'm such a wretch, I can't remember them, or so ungrateful, or whatever. That's one thing with, when it comes to toys and books and things that you're going to throw away or going to lose anyway. 
But what about the things that God has done in your life? You'd be amazed if you could go back and see all the different things that at one point you recognize, that is so neat, God did that. And then 10 years later, it's totally slipped off your radar. So one of the things I'm doing as, uh, with this thought is I've made myself a little chart. In fact, I was going to reproduce it for you, but I didn't. But I thought, I'm going to have a, a page where I put down my ark of the testimony. What are the things that God has done for me that really speak to me about His reality, His power, His love in my life? And I've got it broken down into different categories, provision, healing, deliverance. Any, anytime somebody was set free from something, whether it be a marriage restored or even someone uh, being delivered from an evil spirit, a salvation, people coming to know Christ, promises, ways God's spoken to me, all of those are evidences of God being real and God at work. Evidences. I didn't say proofs. You're not filling the box with proofs. I mean, even in the Ark of the Covenant, who knows? Maybe it was some Martian that came down and did those Ten Commandments. I mean, we can't prove that. We believe that God has done that, and it would take way too much faith to believe in Martians, particularly since they've already gone and don't find anything there. Uh, God is so much more believable than the other things people come up with. So I wonder today what you would find if you looked in your Ark of the Covenant, in your own heart. If someone were to ask you to give an answer for the hope that's in you, why do you believe? It was our second year of marriage. It was March. By June, we needed an extra $1,300 or so for different commitments we had. It was over and above any monthly income. I think our total monthly income at that point with the Navigators was about $600 a month, and not even all of that was coming in. We were newlyweds. I think maybe, I think it was before Walt was born. And I remember coming out and telling Wendy, I'd added all these things up, and we somehow needed $1,300, and it was more than, it was like $1,385 or some, some number, specific number. And I said, I don't know what we're going to do about this, but let's just place it before the Lord. A month later, I looked at our income sheet that came for the month, and there was a gift for $1,385 and change. It was within dollars of that amount that I had written down that was actually a composite of several different numbers, and I had only spoken it to Wendy. We hadn't called anybody for prayer, hadn't mentioned it to anybody. I looked at the name by it, and it was Carl Corbin, who I had known in college and hadn't seen for the four years since I'd left college. I knew he was on my newsletter list, but we had neither talked on the phone or written. He had never given. So I called him up to thank him. And he said, yeah, I was just sitting in church Sunday night, and it came to my mind that I needed to send you a gift. And I'm thinking, yeah, but $1,385. I mean, that's kind of a, an odd amount. I never did find out what, why it was that particular amount. I don't know if he knew or what. All I knew was we had a specific need that we placed before God. God touched somebody that knew nothing about it to send the exact amount that we needed when we needed it. I have never been able to even contact him since. I don't know where he is. He never gave before. He never gave afterwards. I thought, this guy's Melchizedek. He just appears for a little while and vanishes away. That's part of what's in my arc of the testimony. That's one on provision. And I could give you ones on each one, each of these areas 
of, uh, of miraculous healings, of people being set free, of marriages being restored, of, of people coming to Christ, of promises and ways God's spoken to me and then fulfilled it. But I realize I haven't done a good job of documenting it. And that would be a very healthy thing to do. As God brings up things, say, I'm going to add that to my list. That's a good one. And then you can gossip about God. You don't necessarily need to preach. You don't need to explain tons of doctrines. Just tell them who this wonderful God is and what he has done. And my friend, you will communicate. And you don't have to know all the answers. In fact, they'll probably be offended if you do have all the answers. They'll appreciate it when you say, well, you know, that's a good question. I'll have to go see if I can dig up some information on that. Let's get back on that one. My friend, in the last minutes, let me just tell you, never settle for being fruitless. Never settle for barrenness in your Christian life. Think of the barren women in the Old Testament and how God worked through their persistent prayers. Samuel, the mother of Samson, the mother of John the Baptist, all through the Bible, God was honored by when, when women who could not have children cried out to God and said, God, give me children or I die. How badly do you want to lead someone to Christ? Badly enough to at least pray about it every day? Lord, I'm praying for a huge miracle that you would use even me to lead someone to you. Be ambitious for God to use you to touch lives for him. You don't have to convert anybody. Let me release you from that completely. Um, he's not called us to do that. Remember what he called us to be? Salt and light. Witnesses. You don't have to do the conviction part. You just do the witnessing part. Ambassadors. You don't have to win the war, fight the war. You just represent your country. Fishermen, you cast out the net, but it's, the one, it's God that is at, is at work. Jesus said, my Father is working. And so what you and I need to do is grow in our faith that God has foreordained my steps. He's put me in certain people's lives to be there for them as a witness for Jesus Christ. And as I walk in my life, I am walking in the paths that God has set for me, and I'm just trusting that my Father is working and that he's going to glorify himself even through a nincompoop like me who really doesn't know what to say. I just, like Gomer Pyle witnessing, you know, just show up. And God says, oh, I just love that guy. He is, uh, if I weren't God, I couldn't use him. But uh, since I am, I, I can use him. No problem. And, uh, and you can just laugh, have a good time, and trust that God is big enough to use even you. Our Father is working. The final thing I want to say is, this is the main thing. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Is he Lord? Is he king? If he's king and the king has given his main command, he says, I want you to be my witness. Then what do you need to say? Yes, sir. You don't need to say, yeah, but like, like Moses, say, well, Lord, I'm really not very good at speaking, and uh, why don't you send somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. If he is sanctified as Lord in your heart, there's only one thing that's going to come out of your mouth when he says, I want you to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. You'll say, yes, sir. 
Now, would you please explain to me what I need to do? Yes, sir. And then the very next thing he says is, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And I want you to dedicate this next year to doing whatever it takes for you at least to be ready. If you were going out for softball, the very minimum we would do for you is buy you a glove. I mean, they may put you in a place where you're never going to get a ball hit to you, but you at least have your glove. And so in case they ever do, you're ready. I mean, you might not catch it, but you at least got a glove for crying out loud. So many Christians never got a glove. They're hiding in the dugout. You could get a glove. You may not go to the World Series, but you could get a glove. Be ready. You can pray. You can learn a simple explanation of the gospel, or at least buy a 10-cent tract and read it to somebody. You could prepare your personal testimony. There are things that you could do to be ready, more ready than you are right now. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we worship you today. We thank you that you've called us to be your witnesses. We're sorry that, uh, at least I'm sorry, I'm such a coward, but I thank you that you're even greater than my cowardice, and you've given me the joy of seeing, I don't know how many people come to Christ, many of them weeping, Lord. And I think, who am I? Uh, as unprofitable and unuseful servant as I am, to be that close by when the Father does his work. And I pray that you would build a spiritual ambition in the heart of every person hearing my voice to be fruitful and multiply, to be able to be a witness for Jesus Christ, even if it's in a seemingly weak way, but trusting that God is at work and he will take the gospel to the nations through us. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.